Bibles, if you would, to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We have, of course, been uh, going through the, the book of Romans, a preaching series through the book of Romans, but this uh, special Sunday, Ben uh, requested, uh, gave a text and asked if I would preach this text for his ordination service, and I'm, I'm happy to, to do that. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll be looking at, uh, <clears throat> starting at verse 10. And we'll read through chapter 4, verse 8. And before I read, I invite you to, to bow with me as we ask for the Spirit's anointing on His Word this morning. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord God, how good it is to gather in Your house to worship, and we pray now, Lord, that as we come uh, together under the authority of your word, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would speak to Ben. And beyond Ben, Lord, that you would speak to all of us who are gathered here this morning. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, cultivate our hearts, that our hearts would be ready and tilled, O oh Lord, to receive the truths of your word, that they may be planted deep in us to produce fruit of transformation and change that would be for our good and for your glory. Lord, we praise you for your holy word, and we pray that you would do your work through it in us for the good of your church this morning. Guard this time by the power of your spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 3, and starting at verse 10. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul says, to Timothy, you, however, know all about my teaching, <clears throat> my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, <clears throat> yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from, holy inf how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture... God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, <clears throat> so that the servant of God may be equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, <clears throat> and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word, and <clears throat> be prepared in season and out of season correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. 
For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You may be seated. Martin Luther once said, the Bible is alive, it speaks to me. It has feet, it, it runs after me. It has hands, it, it lays hold of me. In our text this morning, uh, Paul speaks of the Bible as the kind of living word. And, and Ben, as you enter into ministry as a commissioned pastor, Paul is calling you to be a student and a servant of this living word. I can't think of a more fitting text, Ben, for your ordination service than this text that you have chosen. And as we uh, enter into the text this morning, it will be helpful, I think, to begin uh, by knowing just a little bit of its, of its background. So the Apostle Paul is writing to his young ministry associate and, and, and apprentice, Timothy, which again, I think is fitting in our context here this morning. And uh, he's writing to Timothy in the context of, of intense opposition under the rule of the Roman Emperor Nero. And so at the time of his writing, Paul himself is in chains in a cold dungeon. As he tells uh, Timothy in chapter 2, he says, This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a common criminal. And so this, this is not the kind of imprisonment where we've seen before, where, where Paul is imprisoned under house arrest in a rented house where he has relative freedom and can, can kind of move about and, and has, uh, you know, things are not all that bad. This is a very different situation. Paul is in a dungeon. We know from later on in the letter that it's a cold dungeon because he asks uh, someone to bring him a cloak. And so he is uh, languishing under the opposition and persecution of Nero. And he knows that he is near the end of his life in that dungeon. He tells Timothy in our text this morning, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Now we know from Numbers 15 that a drink offering was the the pouring out of wine uh, that accompanied animal sacrifice. Uh, the wine was, was very slowly poured out as an offering to God, and it was the final act of the sacrificial ceremony. And so Paul sees himself as being slowly poured out in death to God in that dungeon as an offering, the final act of his life as a sacrifice to God. So Paul is writing from prison and he's and, and under the intense opposition of Nero and he's writing to 
Timothy, who, as we have said, was his young uh, associate, his ministry associate, his apprentice. But beyond that, he was also Paul's traveling companion and friend. And, and Timothy has now been left uh, to, to, to oversee the church at, at Ephesus, in charge of the church at Ephesus. And Paul has, has deep concerns for the church at Ephesus because he knows that they are plagued by particularly two very uh, dangerous and, and significant problems. Number one, they are plagued by false teachers and false teaching on the inside within their own, within their own community. And number two, they are plagued by intense opposition and persecution on the outside. So concerning those false teachers on the inside, Paul said they are always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. These teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds. And concerning the opposition from the outside, Paul has said, join with me in suffering for the gospel. He knows, he knows what is ahead for young Timothy and for all who are professing to follow Christ in that day. He knows and he has felt firsthand the intense uh, persecution from the hand of Nero, and he knows that it's only going to intensify. Join with me in suffering for the gospel. And he goes on to say, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. These words of Paul to young Timothy are deeply relevant for us today. Uh, ben, you are entering into ministry as a commissioned pastor uh, at a time when there are deep concerns about the state of the church, not deep concerns about the, about the eventual outcome of the church, not deep concerns about whether or not the church will prevail, because we know, as Christ has said, that he built his church and it will prevail to the end, it will endure to the end, it will keep growing until the end, and, and the gates of Hades, as Jesus said, will not and cannot ever prevail against it. So deep concerns, not about where, where the church will end up, but deep concerns about the present state of the church with a growing number of false teachers and false teachings on the inside and a growing threat of opposition from the outside. On the inside, there are more and more professing Christians who are opposing the truths of Scripture. They sacrifice biblical truth on the altar of cultural accommodation. They, they manipulate the Bible to fit in with the spirit of the age. They strip the God of the Bible of all of his, his holiness and his mystery and, 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 his, and, and his, his jagged edges of, of truth. They present instead a version of God created in their own image, a version that's, that's pared down and domesticated according to their own understanding of what a loving God should be. That's what's happening, and I would say increasingly, on the inside within the church. On the outside, there is more and more a spirit of opposition and hostility from those outside the church toward those who embrace the real God of the Bible and all the beautiful and hard truths contained in his word. In fact, what, what was uh, in many ways sort of foreign to me as a preacher 10 years ago is absolutely not foreign anymore. The, the amount of, of opposition, the, the rhetoric has so increased in, the, in such a rapid uh, rate in the last 10 years and even in the last five years that I w could never have imagined uh, 10 years ago what we are experiencing today. 
It is into this tumultuous climate that Paul speaks. He gives instructions to young Timothy about what it takes, what it takes to be a servant of the word in this context. And Ben, what Paul says to Timothy applies directly to you as a commissioned pastor. And it applies beyond that. And in many ways, this is very similar to, to Paul's letter to Timothy was written specifically to Timothy, but beyond Timothy to, to the whole church. And so too, these words are directed to Ben specifically, but beyond that, they apply to all who claim to follow Christ and live as ambassadors of his truth. And so as we, and as, as I uh, studied and, and reflected on this text that, Paul, that Ben gave to me this morning, I uh, think we can draw from this text three main exhortations and then one beautiful promise. So three exhortations, one beautiful promise. The first exhortation is to continue in the word. And by the way, all these exhortations revolve around being a servant and student of the word. So continue in the word. Paul says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, so Paul is reminding Timothy of his rich heritage in the word. He, he said to Timothy in the beginning of, of his letter, he said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So this is why Paul is able to say that Timothy has known the Holy Scriptures from infancy. It's because he has had this rich heritage of family members who have instructed him in the truths of God's Word. And Ben, you, you, you have that same kind of rich heritage in the Word, don't you? And we, we, we see that here this morning. In the short time that that uh, Ben and I have gotten to know each other, and, and some of you may have experienced this as well, but, but on, on multiple occasions, Ben has shared with me that his faith testimony is a Timothy testimony. So Ben, you have a long line of, of family members who have instructed you, who have shaped you, who have, who have taught you the truths of God's word, and who have helped to, to form your faith and leads you to faith at an early age. Members, family members who have lived by the truths of God's word and imparted them to you. And what a joy it is to, to, to know that and to see so many of those uh, of your family members here uh, with you this morning. They are part of that rich heritage in the word. And they stand among so many others who have helped shape and form your faith just like with Paul it was with Timothy it wasn't only his grandmother and his mother but it was also uh, other teachers other instructors other mentors it was uh, not not the least of which was Paul himself and so too you can point to many beyond your own family members who have helped to shape and inform your faith Christian teachers and mentors and spiritual advisors uh, uh, Kuiper College professors Calvin Seminary professors and soon to be uh, a, a really uh, premier professors at Reformed Theological Seminary these are all part of your faith 
journey. They have all imparted to you the truths of God's word. They all have a part in what, as, as Paul says, what you have learned and have become convinced of. And now Paul says, continue in that word. The word continue, the Greek word meno, remain, abide in that word, persevere in the word, keep growing in the word. And Paul isn't just talking about intellectual knowledge. I, th- I think there's a temptation uh, for many, uh, especially for many in Reformed circles, to, to, to have such a, a focus on the head that we leave the heart behind, to have this, you know, to, to grow in head knowledge, but, but to have the heart kind of just, just wither away. Uh, Paul says to continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. The the first expression, continue in what you have learned, uh, is an expression referring to learning in the proper sense. The Greek word manthano, to learn, to comprehend, to acquire information as the result of instruction. That's that's more a focus on, on the head knowledge, the learning in the proper sense. But the second expression refers to the assurance of what you have learned. The Greek pistoo, to, to firmly believe, to come to a deep assurance of. So Paul brings together the head and the heart. The first expression is a matter of the head. The second is a matter of the heart. And Paul says, as you continue in the word, those two must always go together. Paul is talking about a deep assurance in the word that transforms our lives. He's saying that there are deep and life-transforming treasures hidden in the word. So, so keep on pursuing them as you grow intellectually. Make sure you continue to continually grow with your heart as well. Keep on pursuing those life-transforming treasures. In February of 2013, a married couple got up one morning to take their dog for a walk uh, on their uh, extensive property in Northern California. And as they were walking, they saw a, a rusted can that was partially buried in the ground. And they bent down to pick it up, and they noticed that it was unusually heavy, and they thought maybe it was filled with iron or something like that. So they decided to bring it back to their house, and so they, they're walking back towards their house with this, this dirty old can in their hands. And as they're walking, it was so heavy that the, that the lid cracked open, <clears throat> and they were astonished at what they saw. It was not iron. It was not lead. It was instead full, filled with gold coins. They began to wonder, well, if there was one, Maybe there's more. Might there be more cans buried in, in, in our property? So they went back to where they had found this, this can, and they began, they began to dig. They began to you know, turn up more, more earth and more dirt. And sure enough, there was another can, and then there was another can. And when all was said and done, they, done, they had found eight cans filled with gold coins. And the, coin, the value of those coins has been estimated to be over $10 million, making it the most valuable <clears throat> hidden treasure, buried treasure ever found in America. And it is now known as the Saddle Ridge Hoard. And that couple said that it was hard to believe that, <clears throat> that they had all that treasure on their property for all these years and they never knew it. It's been buried there all this time and they never knew that it was there. And so it is with the Bible. It is full of life-transforming treasures. And what a shame that that so many, even, even many professing Christians, don't do the digging to unearth them. 
Continue in the word, Paul says. Never stop exploring and digging. There is an inexhaustible mine of treasures in the word. Throughout your whole life, until your final breath on earth, keep on digging and unearthing its life-transforming treasure. That's the first exhortation. The second one is this. Remember the God-breathed nature of the word. Now, since you are a student of Greek, I'm gonna, and so you don't come, come to me later and say, hey, I, don't, I didn't see any imperative in this part of the text. So you're right. There's not an, technically speaking, this is not, this is not a, technically speaking an exhortation at this part of the text because there's technically no imperative here. But I, I do say, and I will make this argument if you would like to debate me, I would be happy to, to win that debate, that... <laughs> that um, the, the, the context of this passage uh, gives this uh, the force of an exhortation. Paul says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. I, I, I don't like that word. It is technically correct. But in our usage, it has connotations of utilitarianism, right? A, a winter jacket is useful. A wrench is useful. Well, the Bible's not like a winter jacket, and it's not like a wrench. And so I, I, I think we can get out of the sense of it by saying that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it is beneficial for, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, when Paul says that all Scripture is God-breathed, I, I love that word. It's, it's, it is an utterly unique word. That word is not used anywhere in classical or biblical Greek or, or anywhere else that, that Paul could have found it. He made it up because he was trying to think, well, how can I describe what Scripture really is? And there was no word to describe it. It is, and it, and it is Paul's invention. It is the God-breathed Word. What Paul means when he says that all Scripture is God-breathed is he is saying that every word of Scripture bears the mark of divine authority. That every word is the product of divine breath. The words of Scripture are not just the words of human authors. They are the words of human authors inspired, guided, uh, directed by the primary author of God himself. It is an utterly unique book. This is what in the Reformed tradition we call the organic inspiration, that it is not, it's not just mechanically, you know, like woodenly, that God just, you know, dictated what was to say, but neither is it like human, merely human writers inspired as, as, as a poet might be inspired to write a poem. It is this organic, this organic inspiration, God himself breathing through the human writers, God himself guiding and directing them to say just what he wanted them to say, and yet not without abandoning their own cultural and, and historical situation and personality. The apostle Peter captured this God-breathed nature of the word when he said that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. So again, it's not, it's not, it's not human. It's not, it's not the, 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 the human's own thought. And this is what I want to say, you know, it's kind of vaguely inspired by God. That's not what it is. Peter says, he says, prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I, I love that expression, spoke from God. This is God carrying them along, God guiding them, God directing what, what would say breathing through them by the Holy Spirit. 
And so the human authors wrote down God's words by the power of the Holy Spirit, the very spirit or, or breath of God working through them. And this is what sets the Bible apart from every other book. It is pulsing with life and vitality, always relevant, always transforming, always speaking, always producing divine fruit because it is the living word of the living God. Dr. William Evans was the renowned pastor of, of College Church from 1906 to 1909. And he was once invited to preach uh, at uh, First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood, which was his son's church. And his son had become, in, in many ways, an even more uh, well-renowned preacher than he was. And so he was invited to preach at his son's church, First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood. And this was during a time when, when modernist philosophy prevailed. And many professing Christians, even in that church where he was visiting, were buying into that, that modernist philosophy. And they were walking the, the, the new and enlightened way of Christianity, claiming to follow Christ, but denying anything miraculous or supernatural. Just claiming, well, we, we're going to follow the, the historical Jesus and, and you know, the, the, the real, the man Jesus and, and his good teachings. That's, that's, that's the real, the new way to go. It was into this environment that Dr. Evans was invited to preach, and his topic that Sunday morning was the virgin birth. And he began his sermon in an utterly unforgettable way. He began his sermon by raising the Bible, and I'm not going to do it this morning, do what he did, but raising the Bible and tearing out the pages that spoke of the birth of Christ. And as the torn pages floated down to the floor, he shouted to the congregation and said, if you can't believe in the virgin birth, then you might as well tear it out of your Bibles. And then to drive his point home, he proceeded to tear out the resurrection chapters and the miracle narratives and then, and then anything that conveyed anything supernatural, so large chunks of scripture, entire books from Genesis to Revelation. And, and at this point, the whole floor around him was littered with torn out pages of the Bible. And he, and he held in his hand little more than just a shell of the Bible. And he said to the congregation, this is all we have left. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is what so many of you think that th this is what you are following. This, you know, just the, 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 the teaching, the, the, the words and the teachings of the human Jesus. And he said, but I'm here to tell you that that this Sermon on the Mount has no authority over us if a divine Christ didn't preach it. That was the end. Well, like I said, I would never advise tearing out pages of a Bible. But in that moment, and in the context of the, of the humanistic philosophy that was plaguing that church, it was a powerful and convicting demonstration of the need to embrace the whole Bible for what it is. It is a God-breathed book. It is the product of, of, of what we, we know as plenary verbal inspiration. That Every word is, is pulsing with divine breath and authority in all of its parts. It is the self-revelation of the only true and living God. The God who is sovereign over all of life and history. The God who transcends nature. The God of, of mystery and miracles. 
And if you deny the very nature of the Bible as God breathed, then it has no authority over you, and you have no ground to stand on as a Christian, and in the end, you become your own God. We stand on the authority of the God-breathed word, or we do not stand at all. Paul says that it is by this God-breathed word that God's people are rebuked and corrected. Rebuked. I mean, those are, those are strong words, rebuked and corrected. There is a need for God. all of God's people will, will go astray at times and, 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 and fall into, into wrong kinds of teaching and wrong kinds of behavior and need to be rebuked, which is a church that I don't think do as much as, as, as we really should. Need to be corrected. There needs to be correction according to the God-breathed word. It is by the God-breathed word, Paul says, that, that God's people are taught, instructed the life-imparting truths of the word, and trained in the way of righteousness, guided, instructed, built up, grown up in the way and the truth and the life of Jesus Christ. By the God-breathed word, Paul says, that servants are thoroughly equipped not just equipped, but, he, but, but thoroughly, exhaustively, comprehensively equipped for every good work in the kingdom. Ben, never forget the nature of the word of which you are a servant. It is the very breath of God. Without it, you are nothing. And with it, you are an agent of life-imparting and life-transforming truth. Remember the God-breathed nature of the word. And again, I would just say that's one of the things that I've been so blessed with since you have been here and it came through in your classical exam, again, that you are committed to the God-breathed nature of the word. Continue in that and never forget it. The third exhortation is to minister in uncompromising devotion to the word. Paul gives a string of exhortations in chapter 4, but they all revolve around this central idea of uncompromised devotion to the word. Paul says, preach the word, and be prepared in season and out of season, uh, correct, rebuke, and encourage, and, and by the way, that being prepared in season and out of season means to, be, to have a, a moral and a mental alertness at all times. Be always ready at all times. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Minister in uncompromising devotion to the word. Let everything you do be centered in the word and, and built on the word and, and grounded in the word. Handle it carefully. Study it with prayerful diligence and searching. Wrestle with the hard parts. Lose sleep grappling with what a text says and means. And, 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 and you're, you're probably not doing quite enough if you're not at times losing sleep over what a text says and means. Submit yourself 
to it that you may be personally transformed by it. And, and, and then and only then out of your own personal wrestling and transformation, may you only then dare to teach it to others. Never before. And understand that what Paul says is true, that a time will come, and a time has already come, when people will not put up with sound doctrine. They will turn their ears, and they have already turned their ears, not everybody, but, but increasingly more and more, turning their ears away from the truth. And they will gather around them teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That, that's a, a powerful, vivid image. Like, like your ears are just, just itching to hear what you want to hear. And they're, and they're looking for somebody to scratch the itch. In one of the, the, in one of the scenes in his book, uh, Lord Falgren's Letters, Randy Alcorn writes about a man named Jordan Fletcher and his dad. And Jordan is, is a brand new Christian and his dad is a man who's hardened to Christianity and hardened to the God of the Bible. And the old man is near the end of his life and he's lying in a hospital bed and Jordan feels compelled to, to go to him and to share with him, you know, even to share with him the, the good news of, of the gospel, the good news that, that God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins and that if he would receive Christ in true faith and repent of his sin and receive Christ in true faith and, and and, and surrender to Christ as his Savior and his Lord, that, that God would give him the gift of eternal life. He wants to share that message with his dad who might be dying. But when Jordan begins to talk to his dad about these things, his dad interrupts him and, 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 and talks about his new pastor, Reverend Braun. Hey, Jordan, have, I, have you met my new pastor, Reverend Braun? And he tells Jordan how Reverend Braun has told him that God loves him just the way he is. That he doesn't need to do, doesn't need to change anything, doesn't have to do anything. Just, you know, God is love just the way you are. There's no, no talk of sin, no need to talk about sin, no need to talk about repentance. The, the good Reverend said there's nothing to be afraid of, that Jesus is in all of us. And that when we die, we all go to heaven because God is, because God is love. So there's nothing to worry about. There, don't think about Jesus. Don't think about a Savior. Don't think about sin. Don't think about change. God will just welcome you into heaven just the way you are. Well, Reverend Braun is just one of many in a long line of false teachers and preachers who turn away from the truth and feed people what their itching ears want to hear. On any given Sunday, you can find huge, mega churches filled with people who want to hear that God will bless them with, with health and with wealth and who want to hear that, that there's no need for repentance, that, they, you don't, that we don't have to talk about our sin, that God will accept you just the way you are, that the God is, is nothing but love. There's no, there's, there's no wrath, there's no judgment, there's no sin, there's no repentance, that, that you know, it's, all, it's all happiness, it's all health, it's all wealth, it's all good. God is good, everything is good. On any given Sunday, you will find huge churches filled with people who want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. And on any given Sunday, you will find smiling prosperity preachers who are all too eager to feed them what they want to hear. 
One of the greatest challenges in ministry today is dealing with people within the church who will no longer put up with sound doctrine, who turn their ears away from the truth, who reject the clear teaching of Scripture because it makes them unsettled and it doesn't suit their own desires. Again, it's a vivid choice of words by Paul who to suit their own desires. Oh, what a dangerous thing to crave the kind of preaching and teaching that, that fits with what you want it to say. And one of my greatest laments in ministry today is the ever-growing line of false teachers and preachers who present a compromised version of the word so that their flocks can go on pretending to be Christians while their souls wither away like dying branches on the vine. And they say things like, well, you can be accepted by God without having to repent of your sin. You can have heaven without, without any worry about the dangers of hell. They offer glory without a cross, salvation without a savior, and, and grace without truth. But you, Paul says, but you preach and teach the uncompromised truth of God's word with great patience. Oh, it takes patience to be a servant of the word. It takes great, long-suffering patience to be a servant of the word. Preach and teach the uncompromised truth of God's word with great patience, with long-suffering, with thick skin, and with careful instruction. With careful instruction, handle it carefully. Be one, as Paul said earlier in his letter to Timothy, be one who carefully handles the word of truth and be prepared at all times in season and out of season. Be prepared, be, be morally ready at all times in season and out of season. I learned that the hard way uh, when, I, when I graduated from seminary, and if you haven't heard this story, I'll share it with you some other time, but my very first funeral message was at a funeral where I didn't know I was doing the funeral. <laughs> I, I, had, I thought I was attending the funeral as a guest. No, I was, I was attending the funeral as the officiant. Did not know that. Would have been helpful to know ahead of time. But it was a very quick lesson in the fact that I, I thankfully had a little pocket Bible on me to be prepared at all times in season and out of season to share what God's word says. And they never knew that I didn't know. <laughs> Be prepared at all times, in season and out of season, not only to, to, to present the word, but be prepared, Paul says, to endure the hardships that will come through your uncompromising devotion to the word because I guarantee they will come. They will come. When, when people turn their ears away from the truth, they will hate the word, they will hate the truths of the word, and they will hate you as a messenger of the word. They will. Trust me, I know. Gone are the days when you can expect to preach or teach God's word faithfully without being hated by someone who hears it and often somebody who will probably surprise you. And it will be tempting to give in. It'll be tempting to avoid the wounds that come, the pain that comes, the burden that comes, the scars that come. 
and surrender to a people-pleasing kind of preaching and teaching. Don't ever give in to that temptation. Paul urges you to remember that you are a servant of the word, a servant of the word. You are called to be a faithful messenger of what God's word says, nothing more and nothing less, a servant of the word. You, you don't preach and teach for the approval of humans. You, you preach and teach for the approval of God and for his glory and for his glory alone. So don't give in to those who only want teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Don't get seduced by those who, who have turned their ears away from the truth. Minister in uncompromising devotion to the word. However hard it may be. So these are the exhortations that Paul gives to young Timothy. But, but these challenging, and they are, they are, they are challenging words. They are, they are and especially in the context in which Paul is writing, in the context in which we are living, they are not easy words to, to live out. But these challenging exhortations come with a beautiful promise, a promise that is grounded in God's grace. Paul is speaking of himself, of course, in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, but these are words that, that apply to all whom God preserves to persevere to the end. All whom God preserves to persevere to the end. So for Ben, for you specifically, and, for, and then for all uh, believers, all followers of Christ, and all students and servants of the word, we look forward to the day when, Paul, when, when we will say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, and now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. This is the beautiful promise to those who by God's grace will endure to the end. The, the living God, the, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the almighty judge will be waiting at the finish line ready to crown us and welcome us into his kingdom. And what, what a glorious moment and what a glorious day that will be. And he will say the very words that we have been craving to hear our whole lives as he places the crown on our heads and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And in that moment, everything else that you sacrificed and all the wounds that you carried will be infinitely more than worth it as you receive the approval and the reward of our glorious king. I read a story some time ago about a girl in France who was poor and blind and somehow she attained the gospel of Mark in, in, in Braille and raised letters. And she learned how to use her fingers to discern the characters to read the gospel of Mark by her fingertips. And she was so captivated and so transformed by the gospel that she read it again and again and over and over. And she read it, in fact, so much that her fingertips became callous to the point that they were, they were so hard and that she could no longer distinguish the characters. And she began... To weep because she couldn't read and take in this, this, this gospel, this, this book that she had cherished and loved so deeply. And so she began to weep and she, she pressed this book to her lips and to her amazement she found that, that her lips were able to discern the characters. And so with newfound joy and delight, she stayed up all through the night and then the next night and the next with that book pressed against her lips, just savoring 
the word of God. Ben, as you enter into ministry as a commissioned pastor, continue in the word. Remember the God-breathed nature of the word. Minister in uncompromising devotion to the word. And surrounding all of that, may you never stop savoring the word. May you treasure it not only as your lifeblood in ministry, but as your means of knowing Christ Jesus, your Lord. And then, may you, and may we all together with you, say with the psalmist, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. To God be the glory. Let's bow together. Lord God, on this day of celebration, I pray, O oh Lord, that you would encourage Ben. I pray that you would challenge Ben. I pray, O oh Lord, above all, that you would keep Ben firmly planted and firmly grounded in your word. Oh, Lord, may he continue in your word from this day until the day he dies. May he always remember the God-breathed nature of the word, that it is a book that is pulsing with life and with, with vitality and with life-transforming truth. And may he minister, O oh Lord, in all of his tasks, may he minister in uncompromising devotion to the word. And in all of this, O oh Lord, may he always and in ever-increasing measure savor the word and cherish it and treasure it. And may you impart to him and to all of us, O oh Lord, who are followers of Christ and servants of your word, the beautiful promise that after we have fought the good fight and finished the race, there will be in store for us a crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge, the chief shepherd, the almighty king will award to us on that glorious day. Lord, may we all live as those firmly grounded and planted in the truths of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.